Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and really excited for today's episode. We're bringing you a roundtable of some young uh, up-and-comers and rising stars in the industry of the college athletics world in Brian Murphy from Vanderbilt, Drake Sassenti from the Wolfpack, uh, University of Nevada, and then Ian Ousley from Penn State. And... You know, these three guys, uh, I would be mistaken if I didn't mention, but uh, all Ohio Bobcats and excited to uh, rep the Ohio family here on on today's episode. Uh, We're going to dive into their career paths a little bit at the beginning here just to understand who they are. And then we're going to dive into a little bit of fundraising and development. And then some of the misconceptions of what we can learn from those that are rising stars in the industry uh, and, and how society is, is evolving today. So nonetheless, guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you having us. This is Brian here. Um, Drake and Ian, again, great to be joined by you, just like we were to give the uh, listeners some context. We were all Ohio Bobcat Club graduate assistants in our Sports Administration Master's Year two years ago, a little over two years ago. So good to be back in the, the foxhole with you boys. Jake, thank you again. Great to see everybody and looking forward to this. Good to see you all. Jake, thanks for having us on here. You got it. And, and Ian, why don't you kick us off in terms of uh, kind of where you're at and how you got there. You were, you were a wrestler? That's right. So I was recruited to Nebraska as a wrestler. I spent four great years there. Um, Really, really found my path here in in higher ed administration via my experience on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, both for Nebraska and the Big Ten. Uh, That led me to take the advice of some of my mentors on campus there in the athletic department and apply to grad school. Ended up getting in at Ohio University uh, and along with that came an opportunity to go out to West Point and work for a year with the Army A Club. Uh, the A Club is where I first had my uh, initial exposure to fundraising and development in college athletics. Had a phenomenal time out there, learned a ton, and then went to grad school. Uh, completed my MBA and MSA uh, on campus there in Athens before heading out to State College and starting as a major gift officer for the Smeal College of Business at Penn State. Brian, you weren't a wrestler, though. Was not a wrestler, no. Uh, Remedial high school sports player, didn't translate to the the collegiate ranks, but um, it's a good transition. I, I studied marketing management, school of business at Virginia Tech, and always knew I wanted to get into sports business, but uh, never really knew which, which exact department or, um, you know, discipline. So after undergrad, I was fortunate enough to, I'm from Northern New Jersey. So I moved back home and I worked for a couple different sports marketing startups in New York city in the area, uh, specifically in ticketing, uh, secondary ticket data management and, uh, digital marketing. And I worked with teams and colleges on strategy and different campaigns. So, um, got great experience traveling around to different teams and colleges and, and working with their departments. And it really led me to 
understanding that my passion was in collegiate athletics and that I really wanted to take my career there. Uh, now, without any direct experience in the athletic department, it was kind of difficult to, to garner any job interviews as I was looking to make that, that jump. Um, and then Jim Taylor actually reached out to me on LinkedIn as he was recruiting for the first online PMSA class at Ohio University. I just started my first job after undergrad, so I wasn't really thinking about graduate school yet, but still kind of kept it on the forefront of my mind as, as I progressed in my career. And uh, a couple of years after working in Manhattan, I, I about had enough and decided let's, let's go back and get some master degrees and was fortunate enough to get into the Ohio program where I got a uh, great experiment, experience in development with the Bobcat Club. Um, so I think it was a great kind of realization that my background in marketing and partnerships uh, really fit well with, with uh, development and donor relations and relationship management. So that kind of launched my new career, if you will, in college athletics. And I was fortunate enough to land a position at University of Georgia in the Georgia Bulldog Club after Ohio. And uh, that position was more of the entry-level side. Um, it was a phenomenal opportunity there and, and really learned a lot, especially at a big Power 5 SEC department. But uh, really wanted to get experience in the external side in terms of having a portfolio and going out and meeting with donors and, and raising some significant money. So uh, position opened up at Vanderbilt and Nashville was always an attractive market while sticking in the power five in the Southeast and uh, got a job there where I'm all external fundraising and started this past October in, in 2019. And uh, yeah, absolutely love that, that side of development and where my career has taken me thus far. Oh, that's great. And uh, Drake, you know, we're, we're on the podcast. No one can see, but definitely the best looking one out of the three of you guys. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one, but uh, appreciate you again having us on, Jake. A uh, little background on myself. I was an accounting and finance major at the University of Nevada. And going into college, I thought I was going to be an accountant for just about the my, my whole life. I had, I had family in accounting and I just thought it was going to be what I was going to do. And fortunately enough, I met another Bobcat, Doug Newth, the current athletic director at the University of Nevada, and was able to have a really strong mentorship with him really from, from the jump and kind of really allowed me to see different aspects of an athletic department. So First, I was doing some marketing internships, doing a lot of game day and promotions. And my final two years was specifically in the development office. And I remember after getting ready to graduate going into that senior year, we had a uh, conversation and I knew I wanted to go to grad school. And Ohio was obviously a, a preferred choice by just about, especially all of us on this call for sure. Uh, but it was excellent. I mean, the two years at Ohio were fantastic. Met some excellent people. It was awesome. Had some incredible experiences. And following graduation from Ohio, I landed my first job with Oregon State Athletics and their athletic department, which was incredible. More alumni there, Jake Kirkham. And really enjoyed being there for about a year and a half. And very similar to Brian, in October of 2019, I made a jump back to my alma mater, which was amazing. I mean, it's, it's so cool being back 
where you went to undergrad and what you're familiar with. And it's just something that I'm very excited to continue to go through and be in in Reno. Yeah, I mean, all three of you guys are, are, like I said at the beginning, kind of the, you know, rising stars in the development world, yet you all have three di very different paths. And I think that's important to know in, in that there is no one path to get to, you know, development or fundraising or the ADC, right, for that matter. Um, and as you learn from, you know, Drake mentioned Doug Newth and, and uh, the mentorship there and the different mentors that you've had along the way, um, what are what are some of the things that you pick up on from you know the the ultimately your your peers um, whether it's those that you have worked with now or places that you've worked with prior uh, in that have really fostered and cultured the way in which you go about your career uh, Ian why don't we start with you Sure. So the first person I have to think about here is Emmanuel Kerr-Brown, uh, who I need to give a lot of credit to um, with why I'm out here in State College. Um, starting uh, about halfway through my time at, in Athens, he, he really started recruiting us out to Penn State uh, and just telling my wife and I how fantastic of a place it was to be. Uh, and so to have him out here and be a peer that now today I can bounce things off of uh, is fantastic. One of the things that we talk a lot about is how we measure um, our, our activities. And so trying to take a very analytics focus to, to all of our work, making sure that it's uh, efficient work, it's productive work, and uh, that we're able to drive the best possible results out of our daily actions uh, is a, a pretty frequent topic for us. Yeah, it's not just smiling and dialing, right? I mean, Brian, you're meeting with, with donors from, you know, coffee shops to you know the arena to the football stadium and um, everywhere in between you're and you're developing those relationships what what did some of those experiences early on in your career and, and the lessons you learned from Ohio uh, help you with as you you know prepare each day with what you do sure I mean first and foremost it was uh, coming from a, a more of a marketing ticketing background it was very helpful at Ohio being at a smaller shop, group of five, max school, just to kind of understand an athletic department and how the money flows, how important revenue is, where it comes in, how important development is to really fuel all the sports and, and, and the operation. Um, so just getting that experience, being able to walk down the hall and see coaches and student athletes. Um, the AD was right next door and all, all the senior staff. It, it just kind of gave me a great, kind of inside look on, on athletic departments and how everything runs, um, which then translated into to what I kind of, you know, saw as important in, in my job. Um, I always wanted to go power five, big school, and, and being able to have experience at Georgia was just incredible. I mean, money just flows through the door there. It's, 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 it's on a different level. And as I'm sure you've read in different, uh, D1 ticker articles that have come out during the pandemic about how much money they have in reserves and everything. It's, it's really not like any other place when it comes to finances, but um, I was on the inside look of kind of our major giving society there and how the finances flowed and, and reports and different things of that sort and how the money fueled different facility projects, but also kind of looking at the annual fund side of things, right? So how the per seat model um, for ticketing for, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, even gymnastics there had its own annual fund. 
So just really kind of grasping everything about athletics development um, and, and how it works. And each school is unique, you know, coming from Georgia, big power five, to Vanderbilt, completely different. Vanderbilt, uh, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, them along with, I think Miami, Florida is the only other power five that I heard has cut the per seat model. So the ticket office handles football tickets. There's no real like seat donation, if you will, or PSL. Um, so that really helps us kind of focus our time on external fundraising and having meaningful high level relationships that are more philanthropic as opposed to transactional. Cause we're not chasing that, that per seat gift. We're more chasing, Hey, Okay, major gifts started 100,000. We got this new facilities campaign, new locker room. Um, let's let's go have some meaningful conversations. So, I think my my three stops have been very different, but also given me a really good holistic view on on different facets and areas of of college athletic departments. Yeah, and Drake, like I mean, a lot of people uh, might go back to an alma mater or back to their hometown a lot later in their career. And you've done it, you know, pretty early. Um, but you've, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you went and worked at Oregon State for an alum and you're at Nevada with an alum. And so you've kind of kept that close to you as well. What's been your thought process there? Sure. I think, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is really just trying to gain as much experience as possible. And I knew that by making this transition, I'd be able to have my hands in a lot more things, kind of like Brian mentioned previously, where when you're not at a power five and you're at a group of five school, there's less resources and you really have an ability to try new things and be able to gain more experiences. So that's something that I found super impactful. And, and obviously who you're working for is, is extremely important. Obviously with, with Doug, I've known him for quite a few years now and he has always been incredible and, it's just something that that made a lot of sense for me at that time. And the, and the mentor and that person that you know doesn't have to be your boss, right? It can kind of just be your champion in the corner in the sense from an organization standpoint that you might just be able to pick their brain from time to time. It's almost probably better if they're not your boss, right? Exactly. And I think it's really exactly what you mentioned, which is kind of having that person in your corner, just kind of being able to help steer you in the right direction. So I, th I think you're spot on there, Jake. When you, when you guys think about development and fundraising and, you know, it's it certainly like everything else, whether it's sponsorships, digital, social, it's a revenue piece of the business, right? And, and with revenue, there's going to be evolutions and adaptations within uh, not only sports, but within the business. Ian, you know, being on the educational side, uh, kind of flowing with and without sports a little bit, right? There's kind of a uh, you you are part of Penn State as a whole, and certainly athletics is a big part, but there's also a lot of different constituencies. And then, you know, you think about uh, Brian being at a power five and Drake being at, at a school uh, in the other five, you know, the the process stays the same, but what are some of the things that you guys are thinking about as development and fund, fundraising is is just evolving as a whole, right? Sponsorships, are changing, uh, data and analytics are more involved. Ian, you mentioned there's definitely an analysis piece to, to the fundraising business. Um, Ian, why don't you start in terms of, of kind of what you are seeing as, as the next evolution of, of fundraising? 
I think analytics is where, where we're really spending a lot of time um, moving forward on this. But in terms of what we're actually talking about on a day-to-day -day basis here at Penn State, it, it's all about empathy and trying to make sure that, that we're putting the, the donor first. And so our roles as major gift officers, they're, they're focused on finding out what the donor's passions are and then finding where that passion aligns with our own priorities. Uh, and when we can make that match happen, some really special things can occur. Uh, and so when I look forward in development, I just think we're going to become a whole lot more sophisticated in our ability to find that match uh, and link the right people with the right cause and, and create a way that they can support their alma mater or, or a place they grew up as a fan of in um, some, some very meaningful ways. Drake, anything to add on, on kind of the evolution on, on your end? I think for me, I agree with, with just about everything Ian, Ian had just mentioned. I think that you're seeing a much more donor-centric approach to the way a lot of our major gift donors and like our, our annual fund is the same way. When we're seeing a huge transition now of we need to be able to have these gift conversations philanthropically and not transactionally, like Brian mentioned a bit earlier, of just really focusing on what are the priorities of this individual person and not pressing anything on them, creating that relationship and continuing to steward and foster that relationship to be able to really align with what they want to do. So I think, I think Ian did a great job answering that question. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the stewardship piece, Brian, when you think about, you know, getting that donation and how stewardship experiences may change a little bit and people are just, they want something different, right? They want something new. They want something, you know, the old, you know, dog and pony show doesn't work necessarily all the time anymore, right? You, you know, you got to get creative. Where, where's that heading? Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I'd like to, just kudos to Ian because he was our data analytics guy at, at the Bobcat Club. And I would love to hear some stories of those spreadsheets that I'm sure still haunt you at night. But good to, good to see you're keeping up with the data analytics, Ian. It's good stuff. But, yeah, in terms of stewardship, Jake, um, you know, folks want access, right? I mean, donors want access. People give because they have that connection to the university and their alma mater and to the athletics programs. But, um, when you talk about more of the, the per seat gifts or the transactional donor, they want access. I mean, because of the, the per seat model being eliminated from the Commodore Club at Vanderbilt, uh, they got creative and they sort of created a sports-specific fund for each sport. So each sport has what's called an excellence fund. Each excellence fund has its own giving levels and benefits. Now, baseball being our uh, most popular and, and most successful program, you know, we had a handful of donors who were giving at the level that, that they received a uh, baseball cap every year. I mean, it was like awesome Vanderbilt baseball cap, but these people just wanted that hat. They wanted to collect it. They wanted that, um, you know, year after year. So you have that side of things of stewardship, but I think, and what we kind of try and hit on a lot is taking care of your top people, right? So like these people give year after year, they're the ones that the AD and, and uh, top leadership go to when they really need some, um, need some support. And 
you're launching a new facilities plan, you go to these same people over and over again. So first and foremost, you got to take care of those guys um, and, and just make sure that they're happy, right? I mean, it's one thing to, to bring them down on the field pregame or host them in the suite. That sort of comes as an expectation of our, of our top donors. But um, how can we get creative? Can we, you know, at Ohio, I thought something they did that was really cool was they invited their top donors every year to the final four and to the college football playoff. Um, so, you know, Ohio, they're never going to be in those. I mean, maybe one day, but uh, still in all, they would set budget aside where they would invite their top donors to those events, which is just an incredible experience for people that are passionate about college athletics. Yeah, you bring up a great point uh, from a, you know, experience standpoint outside of what just your brand can offer, right? And being able to go and, and provide access to those different things, uh, I think can make a big difference. And it's not just the monetary support, right? With those top people, you're also asking their advice, kind of almost consulting them, right? In a way to, hey, maybe how do we approach this? Or uh, I, I think a lot of times people just think fundraising, all they think is dollars. I mean, there's a lot of strategy and to Ian's point, a lot of data behind uh, the decision-making that goes into where should this money go, right? Or how, how should we effectively uh, use this over time? Um, so let's transition real quick. I'm going to go rapid fire with you guys and throw some curveballs at you because why not? Uh, best and worst interview experience you've had? Ian, go. I don't know that I have a worse interview experience. Um, I, I will give uh, credit to West Point as uh, the best interview experience that, that I want to mention here. Um, and that is because uh, for some reason, they decide, decided to hire a guy that didn't know what fundraising and development was when he got on the phone interview. Um, and so just the most unique outcome that I could imagine because when I, I signed up for that interview, I thought we were talking about student athlete development. And when we got off the phone, I realized that development was actually fundraising. So um, <laughs> shout out to Garrett Monroe there uh, for, for bringing me on board, quickly educating during the interview process and making it something that I could uh, very quickly become excited about. Ian gave a lengthy answer. Brian, you're getting off the hook. Drake, go for it. I haven't had too many interviews to really have a solid opinion for this, but just one that always sticks out for me is, is the Ohio University interview and, and getting into grad school. I mean, it was, you always hear stories and you're talking to alums before you're going, before you're going into your interviews and just kind of that whole, that whole thought process was definitely one that will, that will always stick out for me. Ryan, you've got to have a story. Yeah, uh, I knew it. I <laughs> it was knew fun. It. I, I I was cleaning up my Gmail inbox, you know, a little COVID uh, side project the other day. So when I was trying to transition between a couple jobs, and I was in New York City, I was just applying rapid fire to to every sports job imaginable. Uh, there was one. It was like it was a Formula One race that was coming to the Hudson River on the Jersey side. So like Weehawken, I think, and they were going to build a racetrack and they were looking for people to do sales and marketing. Um, and 
I, I was scheduled a phone interview and I was down the shore on the beach. My phone was in the beach chair, cell phone, and either the scheduling got messed up. I'll blame myself. I don't know what happened, but long story short, the guy called me, left a voicemail. So I panicked, called him back. I was like sprinting off the beach, back to the beach house. So I was all nervous. My voice was all like quivering. I was sweating. And yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get the in-person interview with that one, obviously, but you know, it's all growing pains and uh, you, you live and learn, but uh, my best one was probably at Georgia. I actually had two there. Uh, the first position I applied for, they went with someone else and then they said, Hey, we're opening up another position. We thought you'd be a great candidate. So, uh, I wouldn't say it was easier, but it was, you know, going through the same thing a second time was beneficial. Always make sure you handle the rejection the right way. Sometimes it'll turn into a good thing. And I think Indeed. To this one interview experience I had, I was asked to speak Spanish on the phone and, you know, I took a couple, I took quite a few years in high school. I, that didn't pan out too well. Um, the, the, the response time was a little bit lapsed. I don't know if I got it correctly. And needless to say, that one didn't pan out. But uh, Brian, we're going right back to you. The ultimate misconception of, you know, kind of the rising stars, millennials in the workforce. Uh, you want to start with me on this one? Okay. I, you know, I would say laziness. Um, I'm kind of, I'm a little older for a millennial, so kind of the younger millennials get on my nerves a little bit now, but yeah, I mean, I think some of the older generations might, might think the millennials quote unquote are lazy, but I think there's just a different way of uh, handling their workload or, or time management. Um, you know, I think just given what's going on right now with a lot of people working remotely in the pandemic, and I just think the traditional nine to five office job isn't really necessary for a lot of industries and it doesn't fit the year 2020 in, in um, business and in the industry and it doesn't fit kind of how people are wired in technology. So, you know, I, I just kind of look at the workplace and maybe some of those mi misconceptions of how younger generations act in the workplace. But I think one of the positives that's going to come out of this is more adaptable uh, workplace. Drake, you're a West Coast guy. You've got to have some sort of misconception for us. I think for for me, I think the one the word that always sticks out with millennials is entitlement. And I think from and I know any of my classmates, any of these these quote unquote rising stars. I think entitlement is really the last thing you see. I mean, they're people who who are hardworking. They want to achieve and they want to keep moving forward. And it's it's not something where people are just expecting things to get handed to them. And it's more about here, no, like let's let's go work for this and let's get this done. So I think for me it'd be entitlement. Ian, it's gotta be the looks, right? I mean, we were joking about that earlier. So I would say that um, a lot of millennials fall into this trap of, of always asking why. Um, and sometimes employers are not understanding that the why is coming from a very good place. Um, and they're not leaning into that question uh, in a way that maybe they could, that, that could be a motivational aspect instead. And so um, uh, a lot of our generation, the, they have a difficult 
time accepting the, the grunt work, so to speak, and they want to know the why behind that grunt work before they'll do it. Um, and so I think just the employers out there right now need to uh, need to embrace that and explain the why so that then the, those employees are a little bit more motivated and can understand the bigger picture as part of their, their entire career growth process. All right, last question uh, before I get to kind of the, the last piece where we wrap up the episode, but biggest uh, regret and or kind of lesson learned from education? It could have been undergraduate, grad school, but something that now you're a couple of years out of grad school and you're going, man, I wish I, I, wish I would have known that. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be within the fundraising realm, but just uh, as, a, as a professional in general. Ian, going right back to you. So I'm actually going to go back to my undergrad days. Uh, I was an exercise science major in undergrad, and that was not the right fit for me, but I discovered it way too late because I waited uh, to go get that experience to see what the real world would actually be like. And so uh, my biggest regret from that would be just not seeking out that early experience to find out what, what reality would be. Um, if I had done that, then, then who knows, maybe I would have you know, switch my major, become a business major or something like that, um, and had been a little bit more aligned with now the path that I'm on today. Greg? For me, I, I think it all goes back to just networking. I think, I think when, I, when I'm looking back at the last five years or so, I think I could have done a much better job, and I've been able to see firsthand what networking can do with getting you jobs, helping you move forward, continue to progress in your career. And for me, I think the lesson learned is obviously just talk to everybody. You never, you never know what somebody else's story is and you never know what you could potentially do for them. And hopefully, hopefully that ends up working out in the future. And I think really just focusing on the relationships and, and meeting new people. Brian. I mean, East Coast. I'm gonna guy. go, but sorry, what? I said East Coast guy, right? I mean, you got culture. You better believe it. Yeah, I'm gonna go back to undergrad as well. Um, I think, you know, I look back and I wish I could have just learned more about the sports industries and the different departments and tried to get experience. I did apply for a uh, sports marketing internship at Virginia Tech. Wound up not getting it learned a lot from that interview process, you know, who knows that that could have been the, the experience that sparked me right from undergrad to, to stay in college athletics. But, um, you know, everything happens for a reason and I'm glad I'm in it now, but I think like Drake said, just networking with, with people that those resources that were there on campus, I mean, Hey, reach out to people. People are so willing to connect as we know in the Ohio family and give advice and feedback to those looking to come up. And, um, you know, I remember, I got an opportunity through, I think, my sister's friend in New York City at LaGuardier, uh, sports marketing agency, sports agency. And I went in there. The guy was nice enough to give me the time of day. It wasn't an interview or anything, just a kind of meet and greet, informal, informational interview. And he's like, so, you know, what department in sports do you want to work in? And, oh, man, if I can go back and, and see how I probably circled that question, it made no sense. But it was all part of the learning process. So I'd say just kind of understanding that more before I was ready to actually apply for jobs. I think we all would love to go back and like 
you know, almost back to the future uh, and go back to a certain time where we were answering a question and be like, man, what the heck were you thinking? You know, and, um, but you learn along the way to your point, Brian, everything happens for a reason. Uh, and I ask all that because as we wrap up the episode, you know, in your jobs and development, right, you are connecting with people from every age group. You're connecting with those that are just fresh out of being a student athlete. You're connecting with those who just graduated. You're connecting with those who are uh, a CEO of a company and everywhere in between. And you've got to be able to relate to a lot of different people, a lot of different generations, and ultimately connect with them, right? And, it's, and Drake, your point about networking, it's not about networking for the job. It's about networking to just know people. Uh, because in Brian's case of his sister's friend who, you know, helped him get an informational interview, you would never think that that's a path to just meet someone, but you never know, again, where those doors can lead. And so in the fundraising world, I mean, you're meeting people left and right. You, you can't judge a book by its cover in terms of how, you know, someone's passion to give or how much money they have or their success. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, as we, as we wrap up, just the importance of understanding the differences of, of generations and, and people and um, that human element of fundraising. Ian? So I would just say uh, when meeting any of these people, the most important thing is to be yourself and embrace you. Um, people are drawn to people that are authentic. And so your authenticity will help elicit that from them. Um, but beyond that, just entering every single meeting and every interaction with no presumptions. Um, you know, you may be a millennial or uh, a baby boomer or, or whatever generation or whatever background in your career, um, but, but I'm not going to have any judgment before we, we've talked. Um, I'm just going to enter that conversation, accept you as who you are today, and, and let's go from there. Drake? Like Ian said, I think really being authentic and the whole reason why you're meeting with them is because you know they have a passion for the university and you need to find out where that passion lies and really be able to see why is this person wanting to get to the university? Are they an alum? Uh, do their kids go to school there? Whatever the case may be, I think it's really just being genuine, being authentic, being you and just really trying to create that relationship. Brian, bring us home with some wisdom. Try my best. They did a good job of wrapping it up. Uh, obviously some great points there, Ian and Drake. And I would just add, you know, like Ian said, I, I just try and be myself and just meet this person as if I wasn't asking them for money. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about development is the ask, right? Everyone says like, Oh man, how do you actually ask? Like, I'm so scared of the ask. For me, at least, it's, it's more relationship-driven. So once they're comfortable with you, they know you, they know your background, your family, um, you know, they want to hear. They took the meeting at the end of the day. So they're invested. Uh, I'm sure they've donated in the past. High likelihood, they're an alumni. Um, so they want to hear the updates going on on campus and athletics. And then really, it, you know, it comes up naturally, um, at, at least a lot of the conversations I had. But you know, sometimes you, you do have to prepare and just kind of have your ask ready or, or provide them with di different options. But um, I like to put myself in their shoes, right? So if like a DL from Virginia Tech, 
by the way, I've, if any of you are out there, I've never heard from you guys. So come on, hit me up. I'm in the system, I'm sure. But uh, if they want to reach out and hop on a call, you know, I I know what they're there doing. I know they're going to want me to, to financially support the programs, but it's it's about building relationships and hearing updates. So I like to put myself in their shoes and, and try and not make them uncomfortable. You got to be uncomfortable, or I should say comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, gentlemen, thank you for joining the Life in the Front Office podcast. This has been fun. Brian, Drake, Ian, always a pleasure. And uh, until next time.